church caroling. Pray about it. Think about it. Do it. All right. So good morning. All right. Good morning. Okay. Rise for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1. We're actually going to make it to the end of the chapter. We are, some people are, are uh, responding to that. That's because the first 14 verses, I think we were in for seven Sundays. And, but we're going to finish the chapter today, God willing. Bon if God wills. Let's pray. Let's pray before we read. Father, we just pray that you would open up these words, Lord, as we read them. Open up the eyes of our hearts. So we did that in reverse this morning. Verse 15 says this, Therefore also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and your love for all the saints... Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of this mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right, you may be seated. Okay, so again, we spent a lot of time in the first 14 verses of Ephesians, and uh, we were talking about in those verses uh, what God thinks about you, what he thinks about us, what God, when God looks at you, what does he see, what does he think about you? We spend way too much time, I mean way, way, way too much time thinking about what others think of us. What does God think? What does he see? Now that depends. If you are someone who at some point in your life have said yes to Jesus, yes, Jesus. I believe who you are and what you have done for me. Come into my life and take over. Yes. The Bible says that at that point, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and God looks at you in a very distinct way. However, if you've never said yes, he looks at you in a very different way. Chapter 2 really is about that. 
So in verse 15, though, Paul changes directions. He moves from telling the Ephesians who they are in the eyes of God, what God thinks of them, to telling the Ephesians how he prays for them. There's some great books on prayer. We have them in our bookstore. Read them by all means. But there's no better place to go to learn how to pray than the Bible. And no better place in the Bible, in my opinion, than Ephesians chapter 1. There's another prayer in chapter 3. One of the best places to go to learn how to pray. How am I supposed to pray? What is prayer? Well, it's right here. In verse 15, again, Paul says this, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Calvary Chapel in the city, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that God makes you, me, we, into men and women who pray always. Notice verse 16 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. My prayer for you is that you don't stop praying. No matter what you do, that you would pray. Doesn't mean you don't work, doesn't mean you don't play, but you don't stop praying. You're talking to God constantly, all day. Not out loud, sometimes under your breath, in the Spirit, but always talking to God. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. God's answered my prayer. You know, I, I, I pray a lot more during the day than I did five years ago and a whole lot more than I did ten years ago. I know that is the case with some of you. God wants to hear from you all day. All day. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul says this, I thank my God upon every remember, remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. In Colossians, he bring, begins the same way. He says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And then in 1 Thessalonians, he says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Now you say, well, that's fine. That's good for an apostle. I'm not an apostle. Now that excuse almost never works. That almost never works. It works maybe if, if, if someone wants to name you an apostle. Then you can say, well, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. But when you see the example of an apostle like Paul, 99% of the time that example is for you. So uh, what uh, Bible verses am I using to back that up? Well, there's a very, very simple one. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray always. There you have it. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 17, pray without ceasing. It is for you. This is a 
God saved you not so that you'll uh, start um, doing religious things, obeying rules. He saved you into a lifestyle, a lifestyle of prayer among other things. So um, in verse 15 again, uh, it says, after I heard, therefore, he says, I, I also, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. And, and, and he says that's the reason that he's praying for them. He's praying for them because he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. So I have a question for you. Everyone relax. I'm going to ask some questions. When you think about your prayer life, think about your prayer life, what percentage of your prayer life is dedicated to people who are not doing well spiritually? What percentage? Or let me just flip that on its head. Let me, let me turn the question around. What percentage of your prayer life is dedicated to people who are doing well? You don't have to shout it out. But notice how in verse 15, Paul said, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, man, I began to pray for you. To pray for you. Uh, how many churches that you know about have the reputation of loving all the saints, all believers in Christ? Not some believers, all believers. I mean, this church had a reputation for loving all the saints. I mean, they were cranking spiritually. Does Paul say... Oh, phew, I can, I can cross them off my prayer list. I can cross them off my prayer list. Does he say that? No, he doesn't. He's, he's all the more, he's motivated to pray for them. Uh, does Paul say, um, uh, look, I'm going to put them down on my list? No, they're at the top of his list. He's praying for them all the more. Um, listen, who does the devil pay most attention to? He pays most attention to your brothers and sisters who are doing well, who are doing great, who are serving God, who are loving the body of Christ, who are bearing fruit. You need to pray for them first and foremost. The devil's paying a lot of attention to them. So pray for them. And, and, and that's what we can learn just from this uh, introduction. He says, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. Just as an aside, by the way, it, it, notice the connection there between faith and love. Real faith produces what? Oh, louder than that. Real faith produces what? Oh, I, I'm sorry. One more time. Real faith produces what? Love. Very good. It produces love. And so James chapter 2, it says that faith without works or faith without love is dead. It's really no faith at all. So Paul knows the church is the real deal. Their faith has produced an overflowing love. And so what does he pray? And that starts in verse 17. This is what he prays. When you pray for a man or a woman or a church, what do you pray for? Verse 17 says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Number one. Number two, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. 
Number three, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Number four, and that you would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then number five, and what the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe is. And here you have it right here. Here is what Paul prays. What am I, what am I supposed to pray about when I'm praying about something, someone? Well, uh, here it is. So next question for you. When you pray for people, what are you praying for? Just think about your prayer life. Some of you may be say, saying, I don't really have a prayer life. Well, that's, I'm glad you're here this morning. The Lord wants to change that. What do I pray for when I pray for people? Lord, I pray for Fred for a job. Lord, Tom, that you would heal him from cancer. Susan, that you would help her with her exam at school. Lord, I pray that you would fix Dick and Jane's marriage. I pray for Joey, that he might uh, make his next car payment. For Lorenzo, that his boss would stop yelling at him. When you pray for people, you pray for those kind of things. I hope so, because you should be, the Bible says. But, it's a study on prayer this morning. If that's all you're praying for, you're not serving those who you pray for well, or the way you could be serving them. Listen, listen to this. They may be missing out on what God wants for them most, because you're not praying for the right things. And I really mean that. They may be missing out on what God wants for them most because you're not praying the way that God wants you to pray. That the, the, that the way God teaches you to pray in the Bible, but you haven't done the study of the Bible to know how to pray, and so they're missing out. You're thinking, that doesn't make sense to me. It should be their fault, not mine. But look, I don't understand these things. But this is, this is, this prayer works. This prayer moves and shakes up the heavens here. So, here's the deal. God may not want to get Fred a job. Right now, at least. He may not want to heal Tom. He may not want to fix Dick and Jane's marriage, at least not for now. He may not want to help Susan with her exam with school. He may not want to help Joey with his car payment. He may not want Lorenzo's boss to stop yelling at him. You ever thought of that? That God doesn't want your boss to stop yelling at you? He may not. <laughs> because he, the reason may be that he wants something else that's a hundred times better for them. For Fred, for Tom, for Dick, for Jane, for Susan, for Joey, for Lorenzo, they may be ignoring God and God wants to get their attention. So what do you pray? You pray for Tom 
Verse 17. God, the Father, Father of glory, God of the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I pray for Tom that you would give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, in the name of Jesus, please give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants Tom to get a job. I believe the Bible's pretty clear on that. But not at the expense of knowing his son. If Tom grows in his knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, then when he gets that job, he'll blow his boss's mind. Because having grown in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he's now enabled to bless his boss in ways he never was able to before. Lord, fill him, fill Tom with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know you guys... Most of you are praying for people. But are you praying for what really are symptoms in their life? Not having a job, that's a symptom. God did that for some reason. He's called there in verse 17, the father of glory. So he would be glorified for some reason. Tom doesn't have a job now. Or his boss is yelling at him. Or he's sick, or he has cancer. God created us for something so much deeper. So again, let's put this chart up. That God, number one, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you do any kind of reading at all, any of these polls that are out there, the body of Christ in the United States of America, the knowledge that the average Christian in the United States of America has of Jesus Christ is appallingly shallow. It's skin deep. It's surface level. The knowledge and understanding, listen here, the knowledge and understanding that the average American has of Jesus Christ is usually made up of their own thoughts of who they think Jesus should be rather than who the Bible Jesus uh, who, who the Bible says Jesus is most people make Jesus up in their own image apart from any reading or understanding um, of the Bible in other words they make up who Jesus is as they go along. You ever play games with people like that? Maybe you're one of these people. You get into the middle of the game, and in the middle of the game, uh, you introduce some new rule. Hey, what, what are you making up the rules as you go along? What's up with that? People do the same thing with all people. Jesus. I want a divorce. I want out of my marriage. Well, why? Because I'm not happy. So what about God? What's he saying about this? Well, God wants me to be happy. Jesus wants me to be happy. To which the Spirit of God says this. Yes, that's true. 
Jesus wants you to be happy, but never at the expense of his word, which says there's only one justification for divorce, and that is adultery. The Spirit of God continues and says this. The Bible says Jesus wants you to be happy, but happiness often comes through suffering. Happiness comes by way of the cross, by following, following Jesus to Calvary where he died, and he wants you to die. He wants you to die to your flesh, to your desires, to your dreams, to yourself, capital S, capital E, capital L, capital F, and Jesus promises that if you do, the death your experience will be followed by a resurrection in some way, shape, or form, a resurrection that your unhappiness will be transformed into happiness. But you've got to follow Jesus, not the Jesus that Americans have formed in their own image or that you have formed in your own image, but the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that the Holy Spirit speaks about to, directly to your heart if you are a born-again believer in Jesus. God, fill me. Fill these brothers and sisters here with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number two, um, he continues the prayer that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. What do you pray for people? You start off that they would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but don't forget this one. It's incredibly important I will, I will explain. What does this mean? That the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Now the, the, the verse there in the New King James Version I read says the eyes of your understanding. Ugh. Ugh. Guys like me, we, we, uh, we get upset at this stuff. Because every once in a while there's a word that we're like, why did they do that? Most translations say Heart. Because the word here um, is really used, uh, the word that is used is it's the seed of emotion. It's a seed of feeling. It's a seed of desire. God, I pray that he, I pray that she, that the, the eyes of, their, of her heart, his heart would be enlightened. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means this. And you know these people, and these, this person may be you. You can know the right thing to do, but you don't want to do it, so you don't. God, I pray that the eyes of his heart would be enlightened. A person can know everything the Bible says about Jesus, but they're not interested in following Jesus with any kind of zeal. Why? Their heart's not in it. A church can be the most Bible-literate church in the country. I mean, you could go into that church and do Bible Jeopardy. Is that Jeopardy or is that some other? Is that Jeopardy? Yeah? Yeah, that's Jeopardy? Oh, yeah? Thumbs up? Good. You could go into the church and do Bible Jeopardy and every, you should just be astonished. They know everything here. This is like double Jeopardy. Even all those, they get them all right. But the church can be dead. And this country is littered with churches like this. Man, they know their Bible upside down. But their hearts are cold. They are boring. They are not energized. They haven't been enlightened. Listen to this. If you're taking notes, here's more sophisticated language for you two sophisticated people here. 
I'm just kidding. I'm one of them. I like to think. The human will is not motivated until the heart is moved. The human will is not motivated until the heart itself is moved. You never get the whole man, the whole woman, until you get their heart. You may have their mind. You may have their mind, uh, which granted is very important. That's what number one is all about. But without the heart, there's going to be just a dead, unfruitful life. Parents, please, you absolutely must be praying number two for your children. You've taught them the Bible. You're teaching the Bible. That's great. But if their heart's not in it, as soon as they leave the, uh, the, leave the home, they're out of here. You've got to pray that their hearts would be enlightened and start at the moment of conception or when you find out there's been a conception. Start right then for your child. Oh God, I pray that the eyes of the heart of every man, woman, and child of Calvary Chapel in the city would be energized, enraptured, enlightened with you and your truth. Number three, Paul prays for them that they would know the hope of his, God's, calling. That they would know the hope of his calling. Now, when you see that word hope, don't think the word, think of the word in the way it so often is used. I hope I win the lottery. Actually, I hope you don't win the lottery um, for, for many reasons, but that's another sermon. But, but, but I, I hope it, it, it snows before I go skiing next week. I, I hope there's money in my bank account because I just wrote, wrote three checks. I, I hope, I just hope there's money there. So the, the, but the word hope in the Bible, it's not wishful thinking. The word hope in the Bible is actually used in, a, in exactly the opposite way. Um, it, it's synonymous, really, with the word guarantee. In fact, if you have the... So those of you who have the Amplified Bible. Any ampers out there? It's, a, it's really... It's a wonderful Bible. It uses the word guarantee here in this verse. I pray that you would know the guarantee of your calling. So it begs the question, what is a calling? It says his calling. That you would know the hope of his calling. What's a calling? The Bible says that every person, everyone, every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ, and every person who gives their life to Christ, they have two callings from God. You have two callings. Did you know that? Two. Number one is a general calling. I'll explain what that, what that means. And another is a specific calling. The general calling you can know right away. As soon as you ask Jesus in your life, as soon as you begin your relationship with God, you can know what God's general calling is for you. Anyone know what your general calling is? How about this? Another really simple one. Do we have it? Follow me. <laughs> That's it. Matthew chapter 4 you know when that was? It's just when Jesus called his disciples. He called them. He put a calling on his life. 
His calling for them was that they would follow him. His calling for you, if you've given your life to Jesus, is so simple. Don't try to complicate it. It's to follow him. However, every Christian also has a specific calling. Most of the time, however, you discover what your specific calling is after you discover your general calling. Sometimes it's many years. My brother was uh, here, I think, last week. And he is today a missionary and has been for many, many years in East Asia. But he got that calling 10 years or 15 or something after he became a Christian. He got that specific calling. Now, it's good to pray to the Lord about what your specific calling in life is. By the way, no need to pray about what God's general calling is for your life. Don't go around saying, I don't know what I've been called to do. Yes, you do. He's called you to follow Jesus. That's his calling for you. But it's also good to pray about your specific problem. But number three, uh, Dave, can we go back to the chart? It's, it's really has, it's, it's not praying about what your specific calling is. It's praying about that you would know the hope of his calling. So all you have to know is your general calling. But if you, if you know what God has called you specifically to, he's called you to be a nurse or called you to be a, a mom or he's called you to, be, to, to minister to inner city. As soon as you know that, he's saying, I, I want, I'm praying that you would know the guarantee of what the result is going to be of being faithful in that calling. Is everyone with me? Yes, yes. Some people are looking at their Bible. That's a good thing, actually. Um, but but, but that's, that's what he's, he's praying here, that they would know what the result is, what the result is going to be, the guaranteed result of being faithful to their calling. So that begs the question, too. What is the result? What is the result of walking in our calling? Anybody know? Here it is, Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is the hope of your calling. This is a guaranteed expectation. What are all these things? What are all these things? Everything the world is running after? That's what all these things are. Everything people are worrying about, fretting about, stressing themselves out about, God's going to give you every good and perfect thing. The Bible says no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly, meaning those who walk in their calling. He'll do it. That is a guarantee Here's another one, which speaks more of eternity, 2 Timothy 4, um, 8. As soon as you cross the 50 years old boundary, wow, this one really becomes more and more meaningful. I have. So man, I just was so rich reading this, preparing for this message. There is laid up for me, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, same guy speaking, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, 
and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy 4, 8. That you would pray, I just pray for you, that you would know the hope, the guaranteed expected end of following the Lord and staying. And once you know, by the way, don't complain too much about not knowing your specific calling. Because once you know it, you're locked in. Okay? <laughs> if I decide, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really not into Boston. I, I really want to live in a, um, a single-room home in the middle of the woods in Montana. And I go there, I'll be in the belly of a whale. It's only just a matter of time. And so, and so make sure there, there's a reason that God hasn't told you your specific calling yet. And that might be that you're not ready to hear it. And that's okay. Guess what? That is okay. God, tell me when you're ready, but I want to know. Kind of like finding a wife or a husband, you know. I want to know, but I, I, I got to wait till I'm ready. Same thing with pursuing that specific calling, but there's, there's a guaranteed result. Number four uh, here, number four in the list is Paul's praying that you would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. So how are you praying for the people that you love? How are you praying for the people that you know that are doing well with Jesus? Pray that they would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. So when you pray for Tom, you remember Tom? He's the guy who needs a job. Remember him? Pray that Tom, pray that, that Christians, the church, this church, Calvary Chapel in the city, would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. What does that mean anyway? The riches of the glory of his inheritance. Well, um, we discussed that during our teaching of the first 14 verses of Ephesians. If you weren't here, by the way, you may want to get that, that series of teachings. But we discussed this. In God's eyes, when he sees, when he, when he looks at you, what does he see? In God's eyes, who are you? Well, we read that you're, you're, you're chosen. When he looks at you, he sees a chosen one. He sees a daughter of God, a son of God. He sees, uh, he sees someone who before him is holy and blameless before him in love. But what else? Remember? What else was there? What are we talking about? Number four, hint, hint. You're his inheritance. When he sees you, remember that list that we had? When he looks at you, what does he see? You're his inheritance. Remember? There's a will somewhere. You may not even written it, but God's name is on it. He gets you. In fact, he has you now. One of the most wonderful verses in the Bible, Isaiah 43, verse 1. This is God speaking to you. I've called you by your name. You are Mine, you are God's inheritance. So if I pray for you the way Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, it sounds something like this. I pray that you would know the riches of the glory of God's inheritance. Lord, I know that her mother is dying of cancer and she needs comfort. I know she needs a job. I know Lord, that 
that, she, that, that her child is, is rebelling and that this is causing her great anxiety. I know that. But Lord, supremely, I pray that she would know the riches of the glory of your inheritance, meaning how you look at her, God, that she's a chosen one, that she's a daughter, that, that, she, uh, that you look at her, Lord, that she would know that, that you see a redeemed one, someone who has been freed from the power of darkness, someone who has been freed from sin. That's how we pray for each other. That's how we pray. Number five, finally, when we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're praying for people who are doing well, when we're praying for people who are not doing well, pray that they would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Pray that they would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Many of you here today, you live in fear of one thing or another. Do you know what the answer to fear is? Power. God's power. Because of a combination, and I speak this to my own heart, by the way, of fear and unbelief, we're just get all stressed out because of the circumstances that we're in. So honestly, what would you rather have people praying for you? That your circumstances change? Or that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Because let me tell you, if you don't really get that part. You don't understand. You don't come to know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. But your circumstances do change. Well, guess what's going to happen the next time you're in circumstances like the one you're in now? You're going to be down in the same dungeon of unbelief and fear that you're in now. And by the way, all of this, all of this, this prayer, pray it for yourself. Remember, it's just a brand new believer. Stephanie and I were, were living in, in the South. <laughs> and a good old Southern boy named Rolf with a really heavy accent. And he was just the, one of the most sweetest, dedicated men of God I knew. So when I pray this prayer in Ephesians, I just put my own name in it. And I pray that way. Look, if it takes me imitating a southern accent for you to remember to pray this for yourself, it was worth me imitating a southern accent. Pray this for yourself. Yeah, your circumstances, the Lord loves you in the midst of them, and, and he does want to change them. More likely than not, he wants them changed, but he wants you to understand the exceeding greatness of his power. Now, interesting, you do get the, the impression that he's using all these ad adjectives and that they're words he doesn't even know how to describe. Um, this power, this incredible power that every man and woman has available to them who's given their life to Christ. 
not available to you this morning if you've never asked Jesus to take over your life in your heart. But it is available to you if you have. So put aside your unbelief, put aside your fear, and believe in the power of God. And as you pray for others, believe that they would understand and believe the power of God. And there's an explanation here of what this, um, this power is. And the explanation is in verse 40, uh, rather verse 20. He says that they would know the exceeding greatness of his power. And then he describes in verse 20 this power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So imagine there in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus literally, before many witnesses, ascended into heaven. That same power that did that, the Lord says, the God says that um, he, he works towards you in verse 19. He says that he she would understand the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. And this power is, is available. And man, next time you ask people to pray for you, is this not an awesome prayer to request that you would understand this, this power? And, and it says that this power was demonstrated by Christ rising from the dead by being sit, um, seated at the right hand of him in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. He's speaking, among other things, of demonic forces. Let me tell you something. We live in a spiritual world. There are spiritual forces at work right now. There are spiritual forces at work that are dark, that, that want to keep uh, your heart or put your heart into hardness, that want to keep your heart um, hard, dull, unenergized. And the solution to coming out of that place is not just learning doctrine, teaching about the Bible. The solution is prayer. I mean, if all I do is just teach you guys every Sunday morning and Sunday night, I am failing at my responsibility. What you need is prayer, and what you need is prayer to understand the power. And what is the how is the power how it, it, it demonstrated or described? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He was ascended into heaven, and this same Jesus has power over every principality, every other principality and power on planet earth. Not only in this age, end of verse 21, but also in the age to come. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, God wants to make himself known in all these ways in this church. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Worship team, if you could come up. And what I'm going to do is a little different. You know, I'm going to do something that, you know, in earlier times in my life with God, when the pastor did it, I didn't like it. But man, we do it because it really is something that I believe God wants us to do. If all we're doing is coming to church and learning about the Bible 
we're just playing church, guys, gals. That's all we're doing. We're just praying. We're just playing church. If we don't also pray. So as we close, Dave, if we could just keep the list up there. As we close, this is what I want to do. When the worship team begins, I just want you to connect with the person next to you or in front of you, whoever. And I want to pray through this. And I want you to pray for each other. Again, I don't want Sunday mornings just to be a Bible study. That's not what this is about. It's about what God wants to do in and through us. Among other things, we have to be praying. Brothers, sisters, guess what? The world outside is raveling, unraveling rather. It's unraveling. We need to be faithful to the word. We need to live the word. Our hearts need to be energized. We need to pray that our hearts are energized. So when the worship team begins, I just want you to connect with the person next to you. And by the way, if you want to, and and there's something on this list that, man, you just don't get or understand, just tell the person next to you or whoever, um, look, I really need this one in particular. Can you... Like raise your voice when you're praying this uh, here or something. It doesn't matter how loud you are, but but uh, but sometimes um, it's an expression of the heart. And and but but otherwise, just pray with each other. These things for each other, but also also for this church, and also for the churches who are teaching the Bible in the city. We're just going to turn down the lights a, a little and. It's not going to take too long, but let's step out of our comfort zone. God has called us to do that. And as the worship team begins, let's just pray for each, uh, for each other, with each other right now. And I'll, I'll return in a little bit and I'll close. Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold like a vow that is tested like a covenant of old 